favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week, I'm mixing it up a bit, and I have special host Deborah Torres taking the helm today to interview me about my newest release, Emma's Amish Faith Tested. Hi, Tracy. Um, thanks so much for inviting me. This is my first ever guest host on a podcast. And I think whenever you did interview me back in the summer, it was my first ever guest podcast. So a lot of firsts. And I am super excited to be here and be part of Buggy Talk and, and helping in this way. Well, thank you very much. And I, I appreciate you so much for doing this. So what kind of questions do you have for me today? Okay. Well, I've got a list here. Let's start with number one. Okay. Uh, what inspired you to start writing? Well, um, I would say about 10 or 11, 12 years ago, I, or my husband and I lived on a little hobby farm and I started to blog about what we were doing on that farm and it just took off like wildfire you know in fact you can still find that blog out there on the internet even though I don't do too much with it anymore it was our simple homestead and on that blog I started to write some stories about my childhood about my interactions with the Amish Um, I grew up in northwestern Pennsylvania um, nestled in between three Amish communities. So I had a good bit of experience and know-how and friends in the Amish world. And I just started writing about them. And the readers of that blog just love them. And they're the ones who actually encourage me to take some of my short stories and make them novels. Now, you won't necessarily find those short stories on that blog anymore, but I have taken their advice and I started to, I just started to write about the Amish and people just loved them. And that's how I got started. Mm -hmm. That's great. I really am going to look up that um, blog because I have an interest in that as well. And um, I love the idea of homesteading and having a farm and and all of that. And that's actually what drew me to the Amish as well. So anyway, great starter for that. Um, How do you develop your plot and your characters? Well, you know, in the in the writing world, there are two type of writers, a pantser and a plotter. Now, a plotter is somebody that, you know, plots out every scene. They know what's going to happen in the chapter before they even start. And then there's the pantsers, and I'm a pantser. I really don't know until the story starts writing itself. I may have like a location, like all of my stories take place in northwestern Pennsylvania, in this little fictitious town I call Willow Springs. And that's because I grew up there and I have such fond memories of that area. I can write about the surroundings and the seasons and I can really pour my heart into it. So the plot is easy and the Mm -hmm. surroundings are easy because that comes naturally because I grew up with all of that. The characters, however, usually write themselves. Um, Emma, Emma, Byler from The Secrets of Willow Springs really was modeled after me as a child, you know, or as a young teenager. And then 
you know, a couple of her sisters are modeled after my sisters. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that though, in case they listen. <laughs> but but um, I really model my characters after people, maybe their characteristics, their mannerisms, but really they, they really write themselves. I w- wish I had some detailed plan, but as a writer, I am a pants- pantser and the story writes itself on the fly. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about your writing space. I think a lot of times people picture an author and they maybe wonder, you know, what, where do they write? What, where is their place? Do you have a special place that you, you write or a special desk area or a chair or porch or, or where is it? Where are your books created? All right. So I have a couple different spots. Um, to begin with, uh, my husband and I own a marketing business. So I try really hard not to write in the office because I don't want my writing to, when I'm writing, I don't want it to feel like a job. So mm-hmm. anytime I pick up my laptop and I sit down to be creative, it's not at my desk in my office. We bought a 120 year old um, farm uh, two years ago and we've been restoring this old farmhouse. So the back of our house has a big, long porch that overlooks a pecan orchard. So Mm. I'm most creative sitting out on my porch, but when it's too cold to sit out on my porch, believe it or not, there's a little coffee shop about 15 minutes from here Mm. that um, I just find a little table in the corner and that's where I can be creative. And if the coffee shop's too busy, then I'll go to the library because it's nice and quiet. Um, There's something so special about going to the library and being surrounded by all of those books and all of those very famous authors that just gives me inspiration. Even though I may never even open a book at the library, just being in the library and all those books is very peaceful for me because I enjoy books so much. So pretty much out on the porch, at the coffee shop, or at the library. Wow. All of those are great places. I tend to write at my desk where I work, and I think maybe I need to change that based on what you just said. So you might you might find you're more creative if you're not at your desk because it's too much like work. And my writing career I don't want it to ever feel like work. I want it to feel like my passion, my joy. It's what I live for. Okay, next one. What does success mean to you? What is the definition of success? You know, I may not be the typical author. You know, success for me doesn't come in the way of a paycheck. Money's nice, though. I will say, you know, money's nice, but I um, mean, it does pay the bills, but Success to me, and I'll tell you a story. When I finally released book three of Secrets of Willow Springs, a woman wrote to me uh, a big, long email. And she said that, you know, it was actually hard for her to read because book three of Secrets of Willow Springs is about alcoholism. And she had a lot of alcoholism in her family. So the story itself was very hard to read. Now, remember, I write real and raw Amish fiction. So these are real situations that happen in real life, not, you know, completely white picket fence, happily ever after, even though my stories always do end up on a happy, happy ending. They're always about some issue that happens in real life. Well, anyway, book three of Secrets of Willow Springs, Daniel had an alcohol problem. And the woman wrote to me and said it was hard for her to read it. But what she did is when she finished the book, 
she took all three, book one, book one, book two, and book three, and she donated it to a women's shelter mm. in hopes that someone from that shelter would find or read about um, what God can do in your life through mm-hmm. one of those books. So that is success to me. When somebody finds something in one of my books mm-hmm. that makes them feel closer to God or wants to find a better relationship or a closer relationship with Jesus. My books are very Christian oriented and they all have a very faith filled spin about them. And I've only wrote one book that wasn't completely faith filled, but it was a really nice love story. Um, Mm -hmm. But success really means to me that somebody's going to pick up that book and they're either going to relate to one of the characters or they're going to see God within the pages. That's success to me. I love that. I once read, read about an author who called it her writing ministry, you know, and that's what it, that's what her writing was. It wasn't necessarily that she was writing devotionals, you know, for Christians. She was fiction writing, but it was a ministry. So other people were growing closer to Jesus through fiction and through story. And so. I absolutely, I absolutely love that because I feel like my writing is my ministry. It, it definitely is because I'd actually do more research for my books about scripture and passages in the Bible mm-hmm. than I do about, you know, the characters themselves, because I want to make sure I am writing what, mm-hmm. what is really happening. And, you know, I, I, I'm the first one to tell you that I am so surrounded with godly people and Mm -hmm. and rely on my faith for everything that I do that every time I sit down to write I don't type one word on that paper until I have asked God to put the words in my mouth or put Mm -hmm. the words in my head so you know I hope that comes out in my writing and I hope one day when I meet God he'll say Mm -hmm. you know well done good and faithful servant you know I I I might not be able to stand out on a street corner and Mm -hmm. hold up a Jesus sign but Mm -hmm. I can portray his love through my books like anything so I would hope that my writing is my ministry as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay next question do you find it more challenging to write the first book in a series or to write the subsequent novels? I always have so many stories rolling around in my head to write the first book typically isn't that difficult. And remember I'm a pantser. So the book writes itself as I go, Mm -hmm. but um, I am so excited about this new series that I'm just starting that I hope that none of them are hard to write because each one of these women that I'm going to write about in this new series is going to have an issue and um, I hope they write themselves. So I would say neither. I don't find (laughs) the first book or the second or third book difficult to write because I let, and here we go again, I let God tell the story. I'm just the vessel to type the words on the paper. Isn't it amazing sometimes when you, it sounds like you do the same thing when you write and it's like, whoa, <laughs> that was really good. You know, like, where did that come from? I know that happens to me sometimes. And I'm like, Lord, thank you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> that takes us right into your new release, Emma's Amish Faith Tested. 
what did you draw inspiration from for this particular story? Well, if any of our listeners have read Secrets of Willow Springs, Emma was introduced in book one, and she was in every book, book two and book three. And during that story, she was 16 and 17 years old, or left her at 17. But throughout the whole story, the whole three book series, Samuel was her childhood sweetheart. And she had, she had left for Sugar Creek to go meet her biological mother. And she was away from Willow Springs a good bit. And I sort of didn't have closure there with Samuel and Emma. I sort of left it hanging like, well, she was only 17. She was too young to get married. She had too much going on. So I left it there. Well, when I started this new story, I or this new series, which was still going to be held in Willow Springs, I knew that I had to take Emma from her teenage years to an adult. So the story starts with Emma being only married for less than a year. So my inspiration for the story was wanting to tell their story a little more. But the second part of the inspiration for my story was um, about, it was early spring. I went to a church function, a women's, like a women's weekend with, um, with the women from our church. And I sat across from a young girl, um, and it, it was so, it is just so amazing how God puts things and lines things up for you, and you don't even have to think about it. But the young girl across the table from me was talking about the trauma she had been through the year before with losing a child. Mm-hmm. And then the girl right next to me was a grandmother, and her daughter had just lost a baby. Hmm. So it was like, Hmm, I wonder if God's trying to tell me he wants to, wants me to write about the loss of a child. Hmm. So that is really where the inspiration came from. Um, Did you have to do any research for this book? I did. And I had to do some fun research. So Emma in Emma's Amish faith tested hops on a bus and goes to Pinecraft, Florida to visit with her grandmother without letting Samuel know. So I love to do research like that. So my daughter and my granddaughter and I hopped in the car and we drove to Pinecraft, Florida. And I had the best time. I ended up meeting a woman there, an ex-Amish woman who gave me a lot of insight and has helped me with this storyline, she put me in touch with um, a bishop that I could talk to, and she took, you know, she showed me and told me a lot about Pinecraft and the, and explained to me the melting pot of different Amish. You know, there are New Order and Old Order and Mennonite and Beachy Amish. All of these people come from all over the country, and they go to this little town outside of Sarasota called Pinecraft, Florida. So the research I did for this book was fun because I got to visit Florida for a few days. So that's the research I did. Oh, that's great. Ah, oh, love to do that. Um, what is the future for these characters? Will there be a sequel? Okay. Well, like I had said in the beginning, and um, Emma's story is just the first of a 10-book series, and 
it all bases off of the Amish women of Lawrence County. So yes, there will be a sequel because there will be 10 books to this series. And I'm just mm-hmm. launching the first one now, which is Emma. And then mm-hmm. the second book I've already started writing and it will be Rebecca, who is wow. Emma's older sister. It'll be her story. So if you've read the Amish women of Lawrence County, the novella that you can download for free on my website, if you read that story, each one of those women will be a book and it will spin around the little bit of the details I told about each one of those women in that novella. So if you haven't read it, go read it because you'll get really excited about the whole series. Oh, it sounds so good. Can you read us your first page? of this book i can and let me set the stage for you just for a few minutes because i'm not really reading the first page i went in a few pages but as i have mentioned emma and samuel have lost their very first child and the scene is emma is sitting in the cemetery on a very cold um early winter day and she's talking to herself There's nobody there with her. She's all by herself. And just remember, this is in the first person. And Emma is talking out loud to nobody sitting in a cemetery. So here we go. Ma'am always said we had no control over the words that fill the pages of our book. And only God holds the pen. If I could rewrite my story, I would erase the past 30 days for certain No matter how hard I try, the only comfort I find these days is when I sit at the foot of these two wooden crosses. Samuel doesn't seem to understand my need to spend time here, and he's afraid I'm not surrendering to God's will. There has to be more to following the Lord than is succumbing to his will. Quite frankly, I'm sick of hearing about God's will. I've had more than one well-meaning neighbor tell me how and what I should be feeling. And, you know, well, I'm grateful for the outpouring of support they've shown me. How can most know anything about losing a child? For seven months, I carried James inside of me, and he grew in anticipation of his life. But in a split second, he was gone. Even now, as the cold penetrates my wool stockings, I yearn to hold him. My only comfort comes from lying him on top of my mom's grave. When I close my eyes, I imagine her snuggling him and keeping him warm when I can't. When reality hits, I'm reminded his cold, lifeless body was left to decay in the earth, much like my hopes and dreams for his future. Not even the sun that warmed the earth that day we put James to rest could melt the ice that's lodged around my heart. I still remember the look of pity etched on the faces of my family and friends on that October morning. Samuel held me up as I shook, and we watched the pint-sized pine coffin being placed in the ground. I couldn't move and prayed I wake up from the horrible nightmare as Samuel whispered in my ear, God willing, this will be the hardest day we'll ever have to face. Placing a child in a pine box changes you. I don't know how it couldn't. Even the dirt hitting the wood reminded me of all the things we wouldn't experience. Thud, no first smiles. Thud, no first steps. Thud, no first words. Thud. 
in the days that followed, my family and friends surrounded me, and I felt their love. In all reality, I knew I wasn't left alone to bear the weight of our loss, but I pushed them all away, especially my best friend, Katie. Now the mere sight of her protruding belly makes me cringe. Doesn't she realize what we once had will never be again? Just being around her is exhausting. It takes every ounce I have to pretend I enjoy her company. I wish she would just stop coming by. I suppose with her being family and all, that won't happen. Maybe Samuel's right. I need to stop coming here. Is it really helping? Probably not, since I haven't seen another person in this cemetery in the four weeks I've been making my daily visits. Am I the only one who can't let go? Or maybe I'm the only Amish woman in these parts going against all we've been taught, like hiding our pain under layers and layers of fake smiles and forced hellos. If one more person tells me God makes no mistakes, I'll scream. Because in this case, he did, and I'm not sure I'll ever get over it. Look at me, sitting here all alone on the cold ground, talking to myself. Samuel thinks I'm losing my mind, and I have to agree. Nothing he says comforts me, and I can feel him pulling away. How do couples survive this? Nobody should bury their child. It's just not right. I don't care what they say. I'm not yielding to God's will. I won't do it. And there you go. That was really good. Wow. It touched my heart. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading the story. So Tracy, are you working on anything at the present you would like to share with your readers? Well, like I had mentioned, book two, I'm working on book two now, and book two will come out in March. So Emma launches on November uh, 16th, and Rebecca will launch on in, in March, and then there will be two more after that. So there will be three books launching in 2022, all sequels to the Amish Women of Lawrence County. So um, yeah, big stuff. Busy, busy writing career. Yes. Busy. Yes. Okay. Last question uh, for this part. Is there anything you'd like to add or a message that you have for your readers? All I really want to say is, you know, I never dreamed that the Buggy Talk podcast would be so popular and it really has taken off. And I can't thank the authors enough that have come on board to allow me to interview it. And then, you know, like you, Deborah, who's who's interviewing me this time. We are so fortunate to have a group of Amish fiction authors that are so kind and so willing to help each other promote their books that um, it, it just amazes me. But, but all in all, Amish fiction readers are a breed like there are no other. Most of them have a real strong faith. I have mm -hmm. such joy um, talking to each of them. You know, I, I have a couple Facebook groups, a private readers group on Facebook, and then a regular, just an author's page on Facebook. And I get some of the nicest conversations going with, with our readers. And I am just really blessed and thank and thankful that for one, people are reading my books for two people are following along with me on Facebook and three that they're enjoying these podcasts. I just hope they continue, continue to grow. And I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. 
Okay, now I have a couple just for fun questions for you. Okay. You asked me to come up with three, and I came up with six, but they're not that hard. <laughs> they're right. questions just to get um, people to know a little bit more about you. I know that you and I spent a little time in Amish country this summer, and um, there were some things that I learned about you, and I thought, well, well I'll kind of throw those in there, too, and just okay. kind of we'll go along. So um, the first question actually deals with um, – both of our backgrounds in living in Northwestern Pennsylvania for some time in our lives, you more longer than me, but, um, but as we know in Northwestern Pennsylvania, the winters are about six months long. So we were in amongst the frozen chosen there for a while. Um, But uh, my question is for you, what do you prefer winter or summer? Uh, Neither. And I'll tell you why. Winter, I never want to live in the cold again because I live in South Carolina now. So going from one extreme to the next, then summer in South Carolina is brutal. Uh, It's just brutal. So I am, I love fall. So uh, fall is my favorite season. It's the best of two worlds. And here in South Carolina, fall lasts until after Christmas. So we don't start getting cold until January and then only January and February is, is cold. And then we start getting warm again in March. So winter, no, summer, no, give me spring or fall and I'm I'm a happy girl. (laughs) Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Next question. Which do you prefer shopping at a brand new city mall or an antique flea market? (laughs) And this is because you know me because I hate malls and I, Love antique stores. And like I said, my husband and I are restoring a 120 year old farmhouse and you will find me in a flea market, not, not so much a flea market, maybe a, uh, antique mall or an antique store more than you will ever find me in a mall. I can't tell you the last time I was at a mall. Mm -hmm. Yep. I knew the answer to that. (laughs) Okay. Next one is, which do you prefer a fry pie or a whoopie pie? Ooh. One or the other, what flavor? <laughs> fry pie, and I love a raspberry fry pie. Oh, I think you got a raspberry one that day at the Amish Big Shop that we went to. Although it wasn't a fry pie, it was a turnover or something. And you know what? Here's a funny story. So we, Deborah and I went to a bakery in um, Shippeshawana when we were visiting there doing an author event. And I did buy that little pie, and I just swept my truck out for the first time since we got back this summer. And guess what I found under the seat? The corner of that pie. The corner. <laughs> underneath my seat. I, I giggled. I just, I laughed. I went, oh my goodness. I wondered where that went when I dropped it. <laughs> oh, those were good pies. Yeah, though. I think were. I had a scary one. It was, I think you let me had a bite of your raspberry one too. And it mm-hmm. was really good too. Okay. Next one is coffee or tea. Ooh, I am a coffee girl round and round, and I okay. um, I like my coffee black. Mm-hmm. And on a special treat, I will get a um, latte made with almond milk, but I don't do that very often. Um, usually, um, maybe once or twice a month, but black coffee and way too much of it, I'm sure. Uh, well, the reason why I ask is I prefer tea, and I we have this running joke in my office area where we say. Tea understands, but coffee gets the job done. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true. That is true. Okay, last one. And you kind of revealed a little bit what your answer might be earlier in the podcast, but I'll ask it anyway. 
You just made a batch of warm, chewy brownies. What did you top them with? Walnuts or pecans? Ooh, pe pecans, because I have an abundant supply of pecans. <laughs> always, always, always. So pecans. That's what I was thinking, um, because you have 30 pecan trees? Um, I don't think there's 30, but we okay. have a good number. Uh, maybe more like 15 okay. big trees. Big yeah. Big pecan trees. Oh, I don't know if I've ever even seen a pecan tree. So they're huge. Um, yeah, they're they're. We have a tree in our yard, an oak tree that's over a hundred years old. Oh wow! And the pecan trees are probably forty or fifty years old. They're wow. pretty old trees. This this old farmhouse that we're restoring used to be part of a cotton plantation. So um, we don't own all that land that's behind us anymore. We just own the five acres that the house is on. But um, somebody a really long time ago planted a whole bunch of pecan trees mm -hmm. on this pop property. And they probably never reaped the, the nuts off of them like we do. Yeah, I always heard when you plant a tree, you're really planting it for the next generation. You are. Yeah, you sure are. You sure are. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think we're done. Thank you so much for taking time to sit in the driver's seat this week, on this week's episode. And that wraps up this episode of the Buggy Talk podcast. And I encourage you to visit my website at tracyfredikowski.com to, to see a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors and all the great books they add to the Amish landscape.